0: Good morning, good morning. Hey, my name is uh, Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the Village Church, and I have the joy to open up God's Word with you. Uh, Last year, um, we did a four-week series on discernment. It was around August of last year. Uh, There were two weeks of that series that we actually punted until uh, November, and then when our teaching team, uh, we got together, we were like, okay, you know what? The, based on what's going on in the world, uh, we're, we're going to kind of stretch this series out a little bit, and we turned it into about a two-month series that we call Traps, and let me just tell you kind of the main agenda and, and goal of this series. Uh, the goal is to help every one of us grow in our discernment so that our eyes are open to the schemes and the designs of the evil one to trap non-Christians and to trip up believers. So every week we're going to be looking at a different thing that scripture teaches that the demonic realm uses to either trap the world or trip up um, Christians. All right, so I want to to go back to our definition of discernment. Uh, And here it is. Discernment is the ability to determine what's happening under the surface, the thing Behind the thing, so in Scripture, wisdom is focused on what to do. Wisdom is the best course of action. Uh, discernment is actually focused on why something is happening. Um, even, even more importantly, um, who is pulling the strings behind behind the scenes. So, August twentieth, two thousand twenty-three, I preached. Uh, it was a forty-five minute message that was focused on training our church on the spiritual gift of the discernment of spirits. Uh, I would encourage you, if this subject matter interests you in any way, shape, or form, you can go on to Village Church Digital, download that. I don't want to repeat that whole message, Um, but what I want to do is I want to actually give you a highlight of that message in one minute or less, so start your clocks. Here's what we identified. The discernment of spirits asks, who is behind this? Is it the Holy Spirit, is it the flesh, or is it the demonic? And let me give you a simple summary of the message. You will know them by their fruit. And so we identified that the fruit of the Spirit, if we could summarize the nature of the Spirit's fruit in one word, it would be life. That when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of something, it is moving someone in the trajectory of life. Even if it's going to expose something, it's not for shame and condemnation. It is to move them in the direction of life. Okay. The fruit of the flesh, if we could summarize in one word the fruit of the flesh, it would be self. The flesh is obsessed with feeding itself. And so not everything is from the Holy Spirit and not everything is demonically influenced. Like we have this thing called the flesh and I, let's be honest, like we're pretty capable of doing ridiculous, selfish things on our own, are we not? This is where you should give hearty agreement. Okay, the fruit of the demonic, if we could summarize the nature of this fruit in one word, it would be destruction. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says about Satan, the thief comes only. Now that is an all-encompassing word only to steal and to kill and to what's the word destroy. First Peter 5 8. Peter says it this way: your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He wants to consume them for the sake of destruction. All right, we've got that context in our minds. Open your Bibles with me, Second Thessalonians chapter. 2, and uh, we're going to kind of work through this passage. Now, I have to kind of warn you on the front end. This is a loaded chapter, and as I kind of go through this, you're going to want me to explain a handful of things. For example, who is the Antichrist, and what is the restrainer, and There are so many aspects of this text that we do not have time to go through. Now, in the future, we'll teach a a series on 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. We're gonna give it its due diligence. But what I wanna do is I wanna work through this text. I wanna highlight the aspects that really shine a light on a really dominant way that the evil one, the demonic realm, is actually trapping the world in sin and then tripping up Christians real time. We're gonna get very specific. Now, the Thessalonian church... uh, there's, they seem to be panicking a little bit because false teachers have come into the church, and it's, okay, this is funny to me, but it's not funny then, but here's what they, they told them. Oh, Jesus already came back, and you missed it. And they're like, what? I'm sorry, Jesus came back, and we missed it? Are we are we actually not real Christians or saved, or how did we miss this? And so Paul writes the book of First and Second Thessalonians to encourage them, but this book, one of the main emphases is to encourage them and tell them, okay, you didn't miss it. If Jesus came back, it's gonna be unmistakable so everybody relax and then he gives them kind of a training session on what to expect as we get closer and closer to the second coming of Jesus. All right, so 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. He says to them, let no one deceive you in any way for that day, that day is the second coming of Jesus, will not come Unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of what? Destruction. All right, two two things, two specific events are going to precede the second coming of Jesus. Number one is a mass rebellion against Jesus in the world. Now, there are a lot of people rebelling against Jesus, but we're not there yet. Number two is a leader of said rebellion, intent on what? He's the son of destruction, which tells us that his origin is demonic, but Paul is going to confirm this in a few verses. Look at verse four, though. Verse four describes the son of destruction, this antichrist. Verse four says he opposes and exalts himself against every so called god or object of worship. Those are the false religions. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And so he's saying to the Thessalonians, did this happen yet? And they're like, I mean, it's bad, but it's not that bad. And like, no, that didn't happen. He's like, right. Because when Jesus comes back, it will be an unmistakable event. You will absolutely, with 100% certainty, know that he has come back. Verse 5, he says, do you not remember when I was still with you? I told you these things. And you know what is restraining him. That's the son of destruction. You know what's restraining him, so he's not given over to his full power. Now, so that he may be revealed in his time. Verse seven says, for the mystery of lawlessness, it's already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. You wanna know who is the restrainer and what is it? Another sermon, another day, okay? Okay two details i want you to notice specifically notice number 1 that lawlessness is already at work before the son of destruction is revealed so some people have this idea that the lawlessness will begin when he comes. Oh, no, 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 no. In fact, there will be a level of lawlessness that grows and grows and gets worse and worse, and the world will already be prepared for the son of destruction. That's number one. Number two, I want you to notice what Paul calls this lawlessness. He calls it a mystery. What does that mean? Let me translate. Logical... And immoral people. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. That's everybody in this room 100%. Amen? Amen? All right. Are confused. It's like a mystery. How are so many people acting so illogically and immoral all of a sudden as if there's no rules? And you're like, what happened? Because I'm... I'm talking to somebody, and all of a sudden, illogical nonsense comes out of their mouth, and they're convicted of it, and there's no room for dialogue. And all of a sudden, it's everywhere, it's on the media, it's kids, it's it's you name it, it's my boss, it's and you're like, I'm confused. This is a mystery. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever looked around and you're like, have we lost our mind? Like, basic common sense tells us yes, no, this, that, and, and, and now there just seems to be kind of no rules. It's a mystery. So what Paul's going to do is he's going to solve the mystery. He's going to bring clarity why there seems to be this kind of mass delusion of, a logical, of an illogical and irrational nature that seems to be just be growing in, in the world. So, in case this scares you, knowing that this mass delusion could, we could be in a season where it's going to grow. We could be in a season where it wanes. We'll see. Time will tell. But if, if that scares you, or if you are at all tempted to join the team of the son of destruction because it makes your life easier and it's a little bit more fun, verse eight is for you, then the lawless one will be revealed. And, and at this point, you're like, oh, and this is what he's going to do. Nope. no. Whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. If that sounds dangerous to you, let me just give you an analogy. If somebody broke in with the intent to destroy your children and your home, would you want somebody to come in? I don't know, the police and stand up and protect them or you be defended? Yeah. Someone's breaking into people's home and Jesus is like, oh no, we're done. This is over. You, you, you have had everything you needed and Jesus comes in and with finality, clarity, and power destroys him once and for all. And so Paul's telling the Thessalonians, when you see this, you might be afraid of it or you might be tempted to like, I don't know, take the easy way out. Here's their end. Avoid them with all your strength and might because their end is destruction and anybody aligned with them, their end will be, as he says, condemnation and destruction. Now verse nine uh, begins to solve the origin and the mystery of this lawlessness, the thing behind the thing. Verse nine says, the coming of this lawless one is by the activity of whom? Satan. With all power and false signs and wonders. So the origin of the son of destruction is demonic explicitly. Verse 10, he's not just coming with power, with signs and wonders and miracles. Verse 10 says this, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. This man is a liar. He is intent on destruction. And Paul lacks no moral clarity. He says it's wicked. It is evil. It is satanic. We don't try to say anything less than that because that is objectively, morally what it is. I want you to remember this rebellion that comes before Jesus comes back. It is going to be global in nature. Billions will fall for this man's wicked lies because he will come with power, signs, wonders, and people will be tricked. He will exalt himself above all the false religions, above every god and every semblance of deity, and he will claim himself by these miracles to to be this person now. What makes so many people so vulnerable to this scheme? Verse 10 goes on, and it says something really striking. It says, because they refused to love the truth, and so be saved. What made, will make, does make so many people susceptible to believing things that are illogical. It's not that they don't love truth. If you ask most people, do you want the truth? Well, yeah, I want the truth. I want nothing but the truth, right? Got it. Most people don't love the truth, especially when the truth is inconvenient for what they want now. Everybody will tell you they love truth. But here's what it says. They're not just like disinterested in truth. This is actually stronger. It says they refused to love the truth and so be saved. All right, so I've had a lot of conversations with people who are not Christians. People are searching, people are adamantly against it. And so um, it's not uncommon that, like, I'd love to go to kind of this place in the conversation okay so what if what if like you and me are talking and what if i could prove to you that jesus is god what if you and me could take a trip into heaven you could get all your big questions answered and like without a shadow of a doubt you could come back and you could know that you know that you know that there is one god father son and holy spirit jesus is the image of god he is the only way of salvation like what if i could prove that to you would you give your life to christ and follow him and almost always you know what the answer is Some version of this word. Possibly. I'm sorry, what? And here are summary statements of things I I hear when these conversations come up. I just don't know if I could worship a God who forbids love. I just don't know if I could choose to live according to like, all the Bible's values. Like I'm happy. I, I just don't know if I could get on board with everything the Bible teaches. And in my brain, I'm thinking, who cares if he's God, get on board, because he's God, and there are no other options. And if it's true, and you reject him, then hell is your destiny. So like, come on. They refused to love the truth. And in my brain, I'm like, that is illogical. That is not common sense. But when someone's heart refuses to love the truth, dialoguing is impossible. Look at verse 11. God, God's response to those who willingly choose to refuse to love the truth, it says this. Therefore, God sends them, those who refuse to, to love truth, a strong Delusion. I've got a bunch of questions. Let me highlight three. Can genuine Christians fall under a strong, wicked delusion? Uh, I'm going to say no, not in the same way that somebody without the Holy Spirit can, but can they be powerfully influenced, everybody? For sure. Can they be tricked temporarily? Yep. Can they be trapped for long periods of time in their deception and sin? Oh, for sure. Question number two, so how does God do this? And what's, what's interesting is that the Old Testament and the New Testament kind of give us a framework for how this works. Let me just kind of summarize it simply. In Scripture, God uses Satan to accomplish darker realities. Satan is on a leash, he can only go as far as God says he can go, and so there are things that if somebody chooses, God will allow Satan to do certain things to them. I'm gonna give you an example. Um, All the way back in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 24, verse 1, I'll put it on the the screen for you, but David uh, is not supposed to take a census of his military personnel because his strength is not in his numbers, but it's in his God. And so God's like, no, 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 we don't take census. You you trust me. You rely on me. When I tell you to go to battle, you go to battle. When I tell you to stop, you stop. I am your defender and your protector. Got it. So um, Israel is like rebelling against God, and he's not happy with them. And so here's what it says. Again, like this is not the first time, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Literally, it's God's nostrils flared. And he, God, incited David against Israel, them saying, go number Israel and Judah. Okay, now here's, here's the question. It's not a trick. Who incited or influenced David to take the census? God. Okay. The exact same story about the exact same census, about the exact same scenario is also told in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And here's what it says. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So who did it? Satan, God. And this, this is not an abnormal way for the Jewish people to think. God is in control of all things. And yet when God is going to discipline people, it is not unusual that he sends Satan to do the job. And so here's what we find. Scripture is pretty clear. If God is gonna give someone over to their sin, He's gonna let Satan have his way and facilitate this. Now, here's what this does. God does no evil. God also honors David's free will to rebel. By the way, just because Satan incited him, did David make a free choice to sin? You better believe it. So God honors David's free choice, and at the same time, God keeps his word that no sin, especially national sin, of Israel under old covenant law is going to go unpunished. Everybody, Everybody gets, everybody wins. Now, the Apostle Paul identifies this same principle in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter four, verse four. He says, the God of this world, who is Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Okay. In 2 Corinthians, it says that Satan is blinding people's eyes so that they don't believe, but in 2 Thessalonians, God is the one sending a strong delusion. So which one is it? The scriptures have no issues with this. The answer is both. That if, if you, let me give you an analogy. If you are my children and you live in my home, there are rules. <clears throat> and I love you. And in this home is life. And in this home is a way we will protect you. We will provide for you. You are safe in this home. And, and if your child comes up to you and refuses to dialogue with you. We, no, I want what I want. That's, that's just not the way this world works in my home. And if you go out there and you leave the home, I'm not in control out there, the evil one is. And if you leave the protection of this home, I cannot protect you. And so the kid says, no, I want what I want. And so the kid goes out and you know what? What's waiting for him? Do you want drugs? Have it. You want women, men? Have it. You want what you want? Have it. And out there, they're willing to give you everything you want as much as you want of it. And, and God's like, listen, if you leave my home, I, 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 I'm giving you to this, and they're not for you. And out there, if you refuse to have the dialogue here, if you refuse to even talk logically about what's going on, if you go out there and you just do drugs every day, and you drink every day, and you mess around every day, this will be the outcome. And every once in a while, you meet a kid who says, I've got to learn the hard way. Some of us have been that kid. That kid refuses to love the truth and goes out, and what happens when he leaves the home? He is given over to the truth or to the lie that he wanted so badly. You see this all the time. And so God's like, you refuse to love the truth. Then I will hand you over to the deceiver who will bring you a strong delusion and you won't even be able to see. And hopefully, and hopefully, at one point, you will come to your senses and come home and believe in Jesus Christ. My third question, does this mean that we're in the end times now? And I would say not necessarily, but when you look at the world and you see lawlessness that is illogical and immoral at play and it is growing, here's a couple of things you can know. You're getting just a glimpse into what the world will look like before, right before Jesus comes back. Number two, the origin of illogical lawlessness that you're watching today is satanic. And number three, you cannot rationalize with demonic lawlessness because they refuse to love the truth. They have been given over to what is false. They have left the protection of God's family and they don't want truth. There is no rationalization. They are trapped in the very deception that they chose. Now verse 11, it's gonna go on to explain what happens when somebody does not love the truth. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. You refuse to dialogue with truth, you refuse to use your mind, you refuse to look at logic, then I will give you what is false. Have it. Go. Go. Verse 12. It gives us more insight into why they refuse to love the truth. In order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, and, and listen to this, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What tool... What mechanism does the demonic realm use to entice people to put away logic, to put away future thinking, to put away common sense, to make them say, I refuse to talk about this? The masses will freely and joyfully substitute truth for pleasure. This is is what will get the masses. In other words, sin is fun, Sin feels good in the moment. Sin gives you social status. Sin gets you into places and so much more. But at what cost? The cost is that you leave the protection of God's family. Your mind becomes diluted. You are given over to wickedness. And your end, unless you repent, is destruction. For some of you, that is your testimony. And at the lowest part of your life, you realized, this out here, outside of God's family, it's a charade, it's a lie. It is designed for the destruction of my body, my mind and my soul. So Satan's ideas are delusions, designed, intentionally, only to steal and kill and destroy. All right, so every week in this series, we're going to look at a text. And then we are going to apply it very directly to this current cultural moment, 2024. Now, I want to warn you before we get into this next section. um, I'm going to be very blunt. Not like the whole sermon hasn't been very blunt, but it's about to be very blunt. Um, And uh, I just want to tell you on the front end, like, you don't need to walk out. You, your kids will be fine. Uh, You don't have to agree with me. Um, I would hope that there is a, love for truth that you can tolerate ideas that are inconsistent with your own or maybe ideas that are like hard for you at first but some of the best ideas are worth wrestling through and and maybe maybe at the least you walk walk away with a little bit more empathy of how a christian is thinking about this current moment in our world so the question i want to answer is what are the top 5 demon delusions that non-Christians are falling for today? Like the top five. This list is not exhaustive uh, at all, but kind of where I'm sitting and our teaching team, we step back, we spend a lot of time thinking through this. What are the top five demon delusions in this cultural moment that non-Christians are falling for and that Christians uh, more and more are tempted by? Now before we get into them, uh, each delusion is an intentional attack on one of five things. They are an attack on something that is essential for people and for society to function. If these five things go down, civilization goes down. So I need you to understand that these attacks, these ideas that we're going to look at, they are attacks like a sniper aimed at something specific. Five attacks, five ideas, all aimed at the dismantling and the destruction of society as we know it. All right. Number one, demonic delusions are designed to destroy our identities through the strong delusion of hyper-individualism. I am what I feel. If, If God says, I am one thing, and that one thing contradicts what I feel, God loses. I am the God of my life. The most important thing about me is my feelings. My feelings are not just my reality, but you. You must make your life revolve around my feelings. You may not hurt them, and you may never challenge them. I will not tolerate anyone who challenges my feelings. And as long as I am happy and no one is hurt... Who cares? God, if you don't make me happy, then I won't worship you. God, the most important person in the world, duh, it's me. And until you get on board, I can't get on board with you. All right, of all the strong delusions, this is the easiest to trick the masses with. Because doesn't everybody want all of life to revolve around them all the time? Wouldn't you love to have a God who's like, my sole purpose in life is your health, happiness, and prosperity? That would be amazing. It's not real. This is the gateway delusion, by the way, that leads to all the rest. So number two. Demonic delusions are designed to destroy our families through the strong delusion of transgenderism. This movement accelerated, like no movement I have ever seen, particularly because it's lack of logic. And it has facilitated the destruction of something really important in our culture, and that is this simple thing called definitions. Without definitions, nothing means anything. Without definitions. Men are not inherently strong leaders, providers, and protectors. Men can be weak, Men can not work, men can be lazy, men can be abusive, men can be aggressive, men can be soft. Men can even be women, and men can take things that belong to women for themselves, like athletic records and jobs. Without definitions, women are not inherently maternal, strong, yet soft, as Proverbs 31 teaches, helpers. But in fact, it can be men, or not, or maybe a hybrid. Without definitions, marriage doesn't mean anything. It can be between two people, three people, more. Hey, throw in children while you're at it. It could be created, and it could be ended. Why? Just because and despite the collateral damage, because it means inherently nothing. Without definitions, what are we raising? What is a boy? If I don't know what a man is, I don't know what I'm raising my son to become. What is a girl? If I don't know what a woman is, I, I don't know what I'm raising my daughter to become. Without definitions, discipline, actually in the home, becomes arbitrary, rather than intentional, I don't just discipline my children to make my life easier. Okay, sometimes I do, but that's not the right thing. <laughs> I discipline my children in the direction of who God has created them to be. The, the demonic delusion of transgender is completely genius. It is a great idea. On paper, it is a great idea. And if I was sitting in like some kind of demonic control room and, and like somebody was like, I have an idea. How about we get people to believe that, that your biological sex isn't actually real, it could be whatever you want it to be. I feel like the other demons should be like, how would you possibly get people to uh, deny logic and biology? And like in my brain, that's where the conversation ends. Oh, oh no, that's not where the conversation ended because what has happened is that somehow we have broken down fundamental biological laws And they mean really nothing for too many, too many in control. How this strong delusion convinced people that children should be mutilated, women and men are swappable, biology is a suggestion. It is beyond me. Let me use the word of the Apostle Paul the lawlessness is a mystery to my mind. I am confused when I see it until I understand that it is a strong delusion. Given to people who, not people who are like, I want truth. People who are like, I refuse. Not just to discuss truth, but to love truth. I want what I want, when I want, how I want it. I will not engage any discussion that compromises my desires. It is a strong, wicked delusion. Its origin is hell, and therefore its aim is destruction. Number three, demonic delusions are designed to, number three, destroy our children through the delusion of pleasure. The most important thing about you, apparently, is that you're happy. Does this pregnancy get in the way of your happiness? End it. Does raising your kids not sound fun? Let the government and social media do it. They've got your back and they love you and they have a wonderful plan for your life. You wanna relive your college years as an adult, have at it to hell with your kids. You deserve it. Satan has always been after the youngest and the most vulnerable. Why? Because they are near and dear to the heart of God. Number four, demonic delusions are designed to destroy our authority structures through the strong delusion of critical theory. You don't have to know what this is, but you are experiencing it all around you. Uh, Critical theory, it's a fundamentally Marxist idea developed in the 20th century that here's fundamentally what it does. It is a lens through which you process every single aspect of life. Its stated goal is the destruction of all the norms and structures in society. It processes everybody and puts you in one of two categories. You are either a victim or you are a victimizer. And if you are a victim, you are encouraged to destroy the foundation, subvert the whole system, and destroy the victimizers and then to recreate society in a whole new way. Its aim, its stated aim, has always been and always will be destruction. Now, there are a handful of ways that you watch this play itself out. But we now know what has been happening in higher education over the last few decades is now making its way into policy, into literature, into everyday life, into media. The list goes on and on. And so what it is, it's a, it's a virus. It's tentacles. The moment it gets into something, its objection, ob- objective is subvert, destroy, flip on its head, start everything over. And it wants to impact every aspect of our lives. Here's just like a quick rundown of of like some of them. Feminist theory, post-colonial theory, queer theory, critical race theory, environmental critical theory, all of this vocabulary that is coming up, but you're finding all of it has its root in this larger system aimed at destroying civilization. Now, I would love to have conversations about all these subjects with rational people who do not seek the destruction of all of society, And this is what makes it so hard. It's not that we want to avoid injustices. No, the body of Christ should fight for justice, period. But you can't fight for justice with somebody whose only intention is to destroy. It's not possible. But this virus is taking over. Number five, demonic delusions are designed to destroy our souls through the strong delusion of universalism this idea that everybody goes to heaven. Though the majority of Americans are going to somewhat identify as as Christian, this idea that all people go to heaven, or that most people go to heaven, or the most insidious way that this is said, good people go to heaven. And by the way, do you know the standard by which the vast majority define good? Well, I'm not Hitler. And if they're a little bit more thinking, then it's, well, I'm not as bad as You fill in the blank that person in my life that that they don't like. These destroy souls through the delusion that Jesus is optional and simply being good is all you need. And we understand this, that Jesus is not one of the ways of eternal life. He is God and the only way of eternal life. And that there will be no human being on the planet who experiences forgiveness, salvation, and eternity unless they believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He doesn't mince words. Scriptures don't mince words. And the delusion is that it's, it's an option. Are you a good person? Good people go to heaven. It's not what Scripture teaches. All right, I have three so-whats. Number one, don't be surprised when non-Christians come under the spell of of these delusions. Our job is to be gracious. They are trapped. Yes, they chose the trap. Yes, they could get out, but they have chosen this trap. But that does not mean that we need to be rude or mean. I'm going to cough. The only power that can release them is not your great arguments, although some of you have some pretty great arguments. It's not a social media post, although some of them are really, really great if you're a Christian and you agree with them. It is the power of God and the gospel that will give them the best fighting chance. And so I try not to debate with people who refuse to love truth. I do like to have good, open conversations with people who are humble and are pursuing reality and truth. That is fun. And you'll find that they are probably a lot more ready to dialogue about the gospel. This time I brought water. Number two, be surprised but not shocked when believers dabble with strong delusions. Time will tell what spirit is truly controlling them. Our objective is to be kind, to be truthful. Let me ground you theologically for a moment. You don't have the power to save someone. I wish we did. We don't. We also don't have the power to create a humble spirit in someone else. I wish we did. We don't have that ability. We we don't have the power to change someone else's heart. That's not our domain. But if there is reasonableness with somebody who is dabbling with these kind of ideas, then we wait for those open doors. We pray, God, open the doors. And we walk through those doors with a spirit of kindness and gentleness. Number three, Satan can rarely influence a self-controlled, praying, Bible-saturated, and connected believer. As the world grows darker, there are four decisions every Christian has to make. Number one, I have to choose to say no to sin. And when I say yes, I'm going to own it and repent of it. Number two, I'm gonna talk to God every day. Number three, I'm gonna open up his word and I'm gonna study it. And number four, I'm gonna make sure that the primary people who are influencing my life love Jesus. Those four decisions, if you whiff on one, you are creating a vulnerability in your mind, a vulnerability in your heart, And it is unnecessary. As the world grows darker, as the delusions become more intense, as the masses illogically buy into them, if we are going to rise above those, these four decisions are going to be essential for our our survival spiritually. And what the Holy Spirit wants is life for you and for the world. And it will only ever be found in the gospel. And once you come to Christ, these four things, man, could not encourage you more. Figure it out. Whatever your next step is, if you're a believer in Jesus, figure it out. I need to talk to God more, study his word, have to do it. I have to say no to sin. I've got to get it out of my life as much as possible, and I need to stay connected and make sure that people influencing my life on the ground, on the daily, love Jesus more than anything. Now, guys, we've got you thought that was a lot? I've got an hour of sermon that I left out of this one. So we've got a whole bunch more weeks on, on traps. But again, my prayer is that this begins to open your eyes, grow your discernment so that you can bring God glory in every circumstance. And like the Apostle Paul, we don't have to be shocked and have our whole world dismantled because someone out there is doing what the Bible already says that they're going to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we give to you our hearts for salvation, our minds for thriving. We, we want, we don't just want to go to heaven. We want to grow in discernment and see the world for what it really is. We want to see things through your eyes. And so God, I pray as a church family, you would give us remarkable, unusual spiritual discernment, not just to see the things and freak out, but to see the thing behind the thing. And Lord, would you ground us in the fact that you are God You are in control. None of this is taking you off guard. And for those who are yours, eternity and victory are ours, not because we were good enough, but because of Jesus. We love you and we thank you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen, Ville Church. Amen.